This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. I always love this quote from Ronald Reagan. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. That really sums up more than ever before the days in which we're living. And yet when you are willing to take a look at the facts, you'll see why it just makes no sense to be a liberal. And my next guest understands this a lot more than many people do. Judd Dunning is a former self-described big-hearted super liberal, and he is now a conservative writer, comedian, producer, and YouTube series host. And we'll be talking about his book today called 13 and a Half Reasons Why Not to Be a Liberal and How to Enlighten Others. Judd, it's just so great to have you with us. How are you? Janet, God bless you. I'm great. I'm great. I'm I'm here in Colorado on the road. Beautiful day back home, actually outside of California. Good to hear. Good to hear your voice. Oh, thank you, Judd. It's great to hear from you, too. And great part of the country. That's fantastic. So let's talk about your liberalism. Mm -hmm. You said it took what about a decade and a half for you to walk away from liberalism. I'm sure people are very, very curious about your transition from being a super liberal into being a conservative. How did it go for you going going from one side to the other? Because I'm sure that wasn't an easy transition in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, the simple answer is, is that most people are liberal when they're young until they get that first big tax bill, right? And they're like, <laughs> build a wall! Yeah. <laughs> yes. Jesus, America first! <laughs> <laughs> so besides that natural transition to the reality of, you know, of big government and the reality of providing for families, being part of a society, um, yeah, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in, uh, in the 70s and 80s, you know, and we were, we were Republicans, but we didn't really talk about it. You know, at that point, our nation wasn't polarized by the uh, corporatism of, of, of information and news. It was a great show. I'm sure some of your viewers have seen The Best of Enemies, right, which talks about how uh, Gore Vidal and uh, Bill Buckley went after it at one of the delegations, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, people love dissension. Hmm. People love arguments. People love you know, the pain of, 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 of arguing and, you know, the drama of arguing be a, be a better way. And so we didn't really grow up with that. So all I knew at that point really was two things my dad said. He said, hey, the government can stay the heck out of my business. You know, I'll rely on God. And that was enough. You know, that's, I, I figured, you know, I got that message, that meta message back then. And, you know, he also used to say, so if government's working, that, you know, you probably aren't going to hear about it that often. But yeah. now government is now the, you know, entertainment tonight of, of our lives. Right? <laughs> We're all involved in the, in the, in the game and drama of government. So I grew up in those roots, and anyway, I went to uh, Colorado State University, and I was I fell into the law. I was pre uh, civil liberties, pre law at that point, and man, I just I, I it was you know critical race theory of 1984, the 1619 project of 1984. All of that still existed. My mind was just hijacked. Next thing you know, I was selling off my evil material goods, mm. <laughs> and I took <laughs> off to Europe. And my dad had just given me a car, right? He's like, good job graduating, son. 
And I'm like, uh, oh, thanks, Dad. Hey, I'm selling your car because it's an evil materialistic. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm going to Europe because Europe has it right. And uh, that was where, that's how bad it got. You know, and Michael Moore was there with his big open arms. And, you know, Al Gore's uh, climate movie had just come out. And oh, yeah. there was just, everybody was there to say, you know, let's 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 go after uh, the man, which the man was rational, good thought. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it sounds like there was a lot of emotionalism that was wrapped up in your liberalism, that it just seemed right and it felt right to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always say, like, and this is our book, I mean, the, the liberal dream or vision that is marketed, that's sold, is beautiful. It's like, you know, save the planet. Uh, life should be fair, and we should all be part of a peaceful, globalized union of, of human beings. Right. But we as Christians, we as conservatives, we, we as moral absolutists, not moral relativists, which is the heart of our Judeo-Christian constitutional republic here, uh, we know this is not so. And it is tragic, as Thomas Sewell has said, it is tragic that, you know, these things exist, but we can't go into them naively. Exactly. So what was it that brought you over from liberalism to conservatism, Judd? Because I know you mentioned, for example, 9-11 in your book was kind of a turning point, but you'd also mentioned a little earlier, you know, when you get to a certain point and you're paying taxes, that can also bring you over to the conservative side. What was it exactly that was a defining moment for you? I think the biggest thing that we're devoid of in America is history. If you study, I'm a military history buff, like I love military history, and the end result of history is always the support of, you know, a strong country, a strong nation, a strong identity, conservative values. And 9-11, you know, I've never seen the loss of freedom uh, at my age. I've never been to to war. I tried to sign up. I'm flat-footed and have bad eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I tried, darn it. I tried, for the record. It was after Top Gun. Everybody was trying at that point. (laughs) Yes. Um, And uh, anyway... um, uh, 9-11, uh, uh, this Buddhist teacher, I'd started to study Buddhist meditation as a Christian, and he really welcomed me, and he said, yeah, a lot of Christians come here, Eastern, you know, Eastern religion, it's been around for a long time, and this Buddhist hawk uh, invited, who I, you know, you'd think this compassionate Buddhist, he was like a pro-war, pro, you know, pro-military, pro-strong military, better way to put it, <laughs> neocon, and he said, yeah, you, should, you should study, you should study more deeply, and I, we, for 15 years, 25 of us met, and we had people like Larry Elder come in, and George Gilder and different people in our private meeting. And we, and we read some of the great books and by the end it was just, there was, there was, it was irrefutable that I'd been on the wrong track. Wow. That's not, that's not a story you hear every day. That's kind of an unusual path, but (laughs) I was also in Hollywood. Well, I gotta tell you between, between (laughs) academia and Hollywood, uh, I, I, my brain was thoroughly washed. Yeah, this is your brain on Hollywood. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, it's interesting now you've got all of these reasons why not to be a liberal and it comes from your own personal experience, obviously, but also from facts. This is what you're really stressing in your book, that if people really begin to examine the facts rather than the knee-jerk, liberal, emotional, you know, arguments that they put out there, very simplistic, that bring people over quickly but don't really get into the background, it makes a big difference. For example, you had mentioned your dad and his simple philosophy about, you know, I just want to live my life and keep government out of it. This is one of your reasons that you shouldn't be a liberal because big government fails at almost everything. Boy, do we need to hear that now because we're going in a direction in the would-be Biden administration now saying, let's just make government take over practically everything. Tell people why this is a really, really bad idea. 
Yeah, as, as Dennis Prager so aptly says, and that's the beginning of our chapter, right? the bigger the government, the smaller the, the smaller the citizen. I think it's such a great distillation. Yeah. Look, you know, we didn't have income taxes till the early 1900s, right? And we were actually doing fine. Christian organizations used to uh, take care of things like hurricanes. I mean, we... We used to, before the government became our nanny state, we used to, we, Christian charity, since we're on a Christian show, which makes me, just tickles me pink, yeah. or tickles me red, I guess. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, all these structures were there. You know, somebody got to go into the bucket. This, our society wasn't nuclear and blasted around, and people lived in communities. They would rally upon the people that they loved, whether it was cancer or sickness or national disasters, et cetera, and our, our society was functioning. This taxation thing goes back to that point. So the first thing people have to understand is the nature of taxation and how government got funded to get bigger. And then let's use the example of the, you know, the, the New Deal. You know, it didn't pull us out of the Great Depression. Yeah. 75%, the war took us out of the Great Depression when big government became the cult of our society. Yeah. And then later, 75, they tried to pack the courts, and 75% of those unconstitutional laws were struck down as we returned back to freedom, and then we went forward to prosperity. Years later, we could talk about the war on poverty in the 70s. As soon as we, blacks were upwardly, uh, black Americans were upwardly mobile at that time, they were actually, Thomas Sewell covers this, where they were some of the most challenged people coming the farthest, the fastest, the most dynamic sector of our society. We unleashed the war on poverty in this post-60s, 70s ideology of simplifying the nature of humanity, and then now, many years later, we've got a 72% father's rate uh, in the black community. Mm. It, the, the war on poverty failed. Yep. We tried to take housing in America, and we said, oh, we're going to make housing equal and fair, even if people can't get there. We had, that, we had the housing crisis. Yes. You go on and on. Solyndra with Obama. We tried mm. to make green, the green, we're going to make everything green, and we're still trying to do that again. <laughs> so it's just in history that you know, government is a consuming beast. Well, it is. You're totally right about that. There's a lot more to discuss. We're going to do it with Judd Dunning when we come back talking about his book, 13 and a Half Reasons Why Not to Be a Liberal. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. Did you know that Bible-less believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the Ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have Bible, how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really uh, hungry for the Word of God, and then they need the Bible. Nepo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania, but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. 
Open enrollment is here, and choosing a health care program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward health other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. You can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I really appreciate what Judd Dunning has to say in his book, 13 and a Half Reasons Why Not to Be a Liberal and How to Enlighten Others. And Judd is a recovering liberal himself. I think he's pretty much fully recovered, Judd, from the sound of it and from your book. I would say you're pretty well recovered. But you were talking about one of the reasons not to be a liberal, which is big government fails in almost everything. Now we've got, for example, on the table, I saw a story just uh, yesterday about Jill Biden and, of course, her husband wanting to make community college free for everybody and then give you know tuition free to families under a certain income level. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just theft of the taxpayers. And what is the good of society? here. It seems we're to this point now where it's just, we're going to give handouts to continue to get people's votes. It, we, we're off the reservation at this point, and, and a lot of people are wondering, can you even find your way back from all of this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, particularly on the end of a pandemic, right? Right. You know, do you know how, you know how powerfully unchristian it has been the way that this has been managed? I mean, yeah. we're decimating. In the Bible, it says, it says, a good man leaves a legacy to his children's children. That's money, that's that's knowledge, that's support, right? It's it's many things. We have just decimated, like for a family, for you to get your first house, yeah, and it probably took a few years, you had to put a little money aside, you had to live on 80%, save 20% for five years, get 100%, and then put 10% down on a house. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's been wiped out in one year. College fund savings have been wiped, wiped out in one year. Vacation. The things that support us as a nation of mental health, our priority right now is not free college. Yes. And this is the progressive left trying to continue to just sell any chip they can to get control and sell this emotional platform. You know, this year, the one thing that really surprised me, and I'm, I am a conservative, but I will look into the eyes of any, you know, Democrat candidate and say, what's good, what's valuable there? There's, there's been no real alternative vision. What are they doing? They're just running back to socialism 3.0 now? Yep. Oh, well, the, you know, the economy's falling, so now we'll get way more free stuff. And by the way, we can't afford it. Right. So I don't know. I, I, I think that Biden's just running off a, an old handbook he got 40 years ago, <laughs> and that's just to try to win the base. I don't even I don't know if they even know what they're talking about. Yeah, it, it's nuts. And, you know, when you were mentioning how much better off the black community was before the Great Society and LBJ and the policies back then, um, it, the war on poverty, it, you have a problem now. And this came out in full force this year, as we all know. 
on this issue of if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, by definition, if you're white, you're a racist. And there's no arguing your way out of it. Critical race theory trumps everything you can come up with. But, you know, what about this issue of being a bigot and being called names all the time rather than actually using facts to say, hey, wait a minute, didn't we have the Civil Rights Act of 1964? Didn't we fight a civil war in this country to end slavery? How come that doesn't matter in 2020? Yeah, I do. I do. I also do a little stand-up, and my opening line is, I go, I'm, I'm Judd, I'm a white, southern, Christian, heterosexual, Republican male, whereas <laughs> half of the country likes to call me the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I just go right for it. I open, you know, I open up, you know, and then I say, and I support Trump because I, too, am a you know, highly effective orange megalomaniac. <laughs> so I, like, I, I try to make people laugh. That's the point, right? It's like, you got to go right to, as Ben Shapiro says, you got to go right to the fire. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very, it's very, very interesting. You know, we actually, this is going to sound so harsh, and, and I'm sure this is a family show, but I'm, I'm saying this in neutrality. Like, you really, you have to hit back, because calling somebody morally broken, bigoted, uh, lower intelligence, I heard somebody the other day privately said to me, they said, hey, let me tell you, Judd, you know, these uh, works in a part of the nation. He's like, these morons that come in from the middle of the United States, blah, 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 and come mm. to our businesses, it's behind the scenes. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, and then they were battling for the Electoral College, and they're saying, and we need to get rid of the Electoral College because the coasts are obviously where the most intelligent people. I mean, that, that exists. Yeah. And in John 2, 9, it says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Right. Whoever says he is in light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And race, race is the tool to bring on that darkness and to make this into a war, I know so many awakened, amazing black American people that were pro-Trump or pro-individual liberty. There's a huge movement with, with uh, you know, the black, Blexit, right? And uh, right. people are walking away. So I think, I think at some level, as dark as this has been, I do have faith. I do have faith that a lot of people, when they, when they saw race being blatantly so used, I think a lot of people are starting to step out of identifying with their race. Yeah, I think so, too. And in balkanizing Americans into these different groups, which is the, you know, the part and parcel of identity politics, by definition, what you're doing is creating disunity. And that's the goal of the left. But the question is, for a lot of conservatives who've always been conservative, why does the left need to divide Americans in order to achieve its agenda? What do you think is behind all of that? A failed platform and a vision for America. Yeah. I mean, we're at a point. You know, people forget big government already exists. Big free markets exist. It's not this simplistic polarity that people want to paint left and right. I mean, Americans are actually aligned on 70% of the issues. As Larry Elder said, if you feel like your party is abandoned, you don't worry. It wasn't you that moved. <laughs> you know, we've really been corporately just, I think it's greed. I, I think at some level it's, it's, it's that quality of greed. I think it's the greed of, you know, we have antitrust laws in America for a reason, right? We do. Uh, so that, you know, things don't get too out of control. I mean, Republicans are far from, you know, uh, unconscious about the perils of capitalism. I think that's way, way simplified. A lot of it is, is hijacked for power and greed. I don't think a lot of these uh, liberal elites that claim for these, they, they put out this self-sacrifice, we're going to all suffer under higher taxes and we're going to pay for free health care, we're going to pay for free college. I don't think they're really planning on participating in the self-sacrificing <laughs> part of that. I think they're just doing it to amass power. And I think it comes from greed. I think America's 
you know, we've got something very special here, the divinity in which we are so blessed in America by the things that have happened on our great Judeo-Christian side. It's so precious. We need to take care of it. But these people are just, you know, they're just continuing. They just want to deconstruct, deconstruct the family, deconstruct uh, self-esteem, deconstruct uh, our, our power in the world. It's I think it's a failed policy. Well, it is for sure. And as you point out, another reason that you put in your book is Judeo-Christian values are American values. Now, this drives the left absolutely nuts because they loved in particular to paint Christians as the worst bigots and, you know, homophobes. Just add every every insult to the list. And that's what Christians are in the minds of the leftists. But what what is significant about that to you, Judd, especially when you are looking at what made America great in the first place? If you think about our individual liberty and and how our founders envisioned our country to unfold and the principles upon which it should be built. Without the Bible, you could not have had the America that was handed down to us. And yet you have so many in the political realm, at least, who are absolutely, you know, virulent about hating Christianity. You know, what do you make of the importance of Judeo-Christian values to the continuation of America as it has been handed down to us? Yeah, amen. I look, I think that we've got to watch, I'll use the president as a quick example. We got to watch Trump, a 70-year-old, you know, fairly pro-middle-of-the-road choice Democrat go through a conversion in front of our country. Yeah. You know, we got to see this guy who's, he went from, I think, Presbyterian to non-denominational. And you, we, we saw this president sway and raise his hands. Hallelujah. Yeah. We saw somebody actually practice faith. Uh, I mean, I, I call the the Obama years the years of a marishing. I mm. mean, every time he would talk, I'd feel bad about being a Christian. I'd feel bad about, like, being proud of my country because it wouldn't be fair to someone else. Mm. Well, you know, the, the Bible doesn't preach the nature of fairness as much as it does compassion and, 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 and doing our best. It says that we have a broken, you know, troubled world out there. Yep. Um, so I, I think that when you look at the way the founders set it up, the founders were highly intellectual people. And if you look at the way that they set up, I mean, if you haven't read the Constitution recently, I mean, go back and read. If you haven't read the Declaration of Independence, I, I took it on holiday with me. I just kept reading it again, and I'm like, wow, these are, these are divine words. I, I forget the name of the principle that uh, in how the Bible was redacted through the holiness of man, even though it was through man as a term for what survived. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Our, our constitutional document is that way as well. Like the canon? So, you know, I was testing a lot of this. What's that? Yeah, they like the canon, is that what you mean? Yeah, well, there's a term for what survived and why, even though God created the Bible through man, and men were the conduit mm-hmm. of it, right? Mm-hmm. But right. at the same time, there was some guiding hand of what survived yes. and what holds our, our fabric together. America is the same way. I mean, for over, what is it, 40-something, I don't want to be off, but I think 46 of their original signers had Bibles on them. I mean, it was basically, it was also the only printed book, right? Mm-hmm. There were very few books circulating. Printing was very expensive at the time, and it was the core book of our society. Um, you know, just again and again and again. I, I, there's so many examples of why, but it, it comes down to the First Amendment, right? It's that we, have the, we, we just don't have a state religion. That's the only thing it said. When we took, it's interesting because when we took churches out of schools, and they've tied this directly, that's when a lot of the deterioration of the black American family happened. Because mm. that once, once in the morning, when we would say the Pledge of Allegiance, and we would pray, you know, children were not looking to their parents to be the divine. They were looking 
through their parents upward to the divine, that natural psychological structure. And we, we tampered with the fabric of our society, and now we're trying to take it off of our sports fields. And every time we, we pull a little bit more relativism back off, we, we see suffering. So yeah. I, I, I think it's tragic, but I also think that America and the Lord has, you know, unlimited potential. Oh, absolutely. But you cannot take God out of our society and expect things to go well. I mean, all you have to do is go back to the Word of God and see what happened when Israel did that or when anybody in the New Testament did that. We really have to get our heads on straight and understand a lot of these principles. And do you have really high hopes about enlightening others, Judd? <laughs> so I have to tell you, I think it's important uh, to hold our heads high. I think the one thing I really learned, I mean, we went up there to that cabin for two and a half weeks to start this, to, to know what we knew and to, to, to get to what is in our hearts. And I think that it's important if you can continue to return to your hearts that the, the things that are good about America are simple, are essential. That's what conservatism is about in Love it. values. Yep. Judd, thank you so much. We're out of time. Thanks for being with us. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. You know how we've been discussing for quite a while now the tyranny that has been forthcoming from a number of politicians across the country. It's getting worse, by the way. It's getting much worse. I've been seeing all sorts of discussions on the Internet about people, more people losing their livelihoods, restaurant owners. There was a viral video of a woman who was really upset, rightly so, in California because she couldn't have outdoor dining for her restaurant. But set up right next to her restaurant were all of these tents for the movie industry. And Eric Garcetti, the mayor of L.A., said, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. The same guy who has about 40 broad categories of exemptions in his order to lock every Everybody down in Los Angeles and there are winners and losers and it's all dependent upon who the guy feels like giving a break to. So this is going on every single day. But listen to this story. This is just incredible. The Oregon Medical Board has now permanently revoked a doctor's license, a doctor from Dallas, Oregon, who spoke at a Stop the Steal rally that took place a couple of weeks ago. His name is Dr. Stephen Latulip. He spoke at this rally on November 7th, and he did the dastardly thing. Oh, what a dastardly thing. He talked about the science of masks and how he rejected it as a means of protecting people from, you know, surefire protection from COVID-19. And we've been talking about this for months. This is not new stuff. And I want to play for you a little bit of what he said. And then I'm going to tell you the rest of the story of how he lost his license. But first of all, let's listen to what he said regarding this pandemic and his thoughts on it. Uh, listen to the doctor. This is cut one. My name is Steve LaTulip. I am a practicing physician in Dallas, Oregon, right now, 20 minutes. 
20 minutes down the road, uh, I want to expose what I call coronamania. Uh, the COVID virus is from the family Picornaviridae. It's a rapidly mutating virus, which means that COVID-19 is no more. It has already mutated. Let me share my background real quickly. I am a retired Air Force officer. I flew heavies, I flew fighters, the Phantom, uh, the good old Rhino. I am an ordained minister. I've been to Bible college and to seminary, and uh, now I've been uh, 20 plus years here in Dallas as a physician. I want you to know that I never shut down during the entire COVID season from the time I was declared to now. I, I hate to tell you this, I might scare you, but I and my staff, none of us, once wore a mask in my clinic. And how many problems did we have in our clinic from that? Zero. Absolutely none. That's quite amazing. They had no problems from not wearing masks. Well, part of this is down to the issue of masks and their effectiveness. When you talk about the heavier duty or heavier duty masks like the N95 masks, that's one thing. If you have symptoms and you're wearing an N95 mask, that's more of a protection from people getting COVID-19 from you than is wearing, you know, this really thin neck gaiter that you ordered off Amazon.com with an American flag on it. That's not going to keep you from getting COVID and it's not going to prevent anybody else next to you from getting COVID-19 because you know why? Viruses spread. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. We somehow have convinced ourselves because we've been terrorized by these tyrants into believing this nonsense that these flimsy masks, whether they're those blue and white ones that keep falling off your ear or the neck gaiters, are going to protect you. It really is a form of social control because when you see some of these studies, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. Viruses spread. And people get sick. And this is the time of year when more people get sick. Now then, he goes on to discuss the COVID patients that he saw in his clinic and what he thinks about the mask mandates. This is cut two. I treated approximately 75 cases of COVID. The last time I saw a COVID case was on February 10th of this past year. I've seen nothing this year. I've seen no flu yet this year. And we have been utterly duped. And I want you to know that this is insanity. And the purpose was only to shut down the American people. This is a threat to your freedom, a threat to our Constitution. I petition all of you, please, take off the mask of shame. It is a mask that is just designed to control you and to shut you down. Now, that is not something you can imagine. Oregon wants him to say that this is really a threat to your freedom and a threat to the Constitution, which, by the way, it is on so many levels. But did you hear what he said, that he treated approximately 75 cases of COVID? The last case he saw was February 10th, and he didn't have anybody hospitalized. He said elsewhere he didn't have anybody really have a problem. They were all better within a week. And it's not to negate the fact that COVID does pose a problem for people with underlying health conditions and the vulnerable elderly, people in nursing homes, obviously. But so does the flu. So does the flu. Then he talks about the virology. Listen to cut three. 
The virology of, of COVID, the diameter of coronavirus is 0.13 diameters. The best N95 standard mask filters down to 0.3 microns. The, the great example of it is saying, I'm gonna put up a chain link fence to block the mosquitoes. This is utter stupidity. It is nothing more than to control you. COVID is nonsense. The virus is real, yes. It's a common cold virus. It's been with us forever. Please don't be duped. You have an immune system. I treated 75 cases. They were all better in a week. Not one of my patients went to the hospital. Not one of them was admitted for coronavirus. Do not let them put you into a state of fear. That is oppression. Thank you. There are things that are worse than a virus that 99.6% of people recover from if they contract it. There are a lot of things worse. Talk to people who own restaurants. Talk to people who have been home for months because they are older and they're terrified to go outside of their homes because all they hear is this panic about COVID nonstop on channels like CNN. And, and there are a lot worse things. People who didn't go to the hospital and now in this season of fall when there are more cases in places like California, people are scared again. How many people will not go in for their heart attack treatment or their stroke treatment? How many people will not go in for any sort of help with their depression or anxiety? Look at the suicide rates. There are worse things than a virus that 99.6% of people recover from. Let's get our heads on straight. So let's look at what Oregon did. This is via NBC, the medical license of the doctor you just heard who refused to wear a face mask despite the ongoing coronavirus pandemic has been revoked after this video surfaced. Dr. Stephen LaTulip made the comments on November 7th, as we mentioned before, less than a month later, just a few days ago, the Oregon Medical Board issued an emergency suspension emergency after finding that Latulip engaged in unprofessional conduct or dishonorable conduct. According to the emergency suspension, Latulip in July allegedly told a patient who asked for guidance on when to get tested for the coronavirus that asymptomatic people should not be tested and that wearing a mask does not prevent transmission. What's wrong with saying that? If you have no symptoms, why would you get tested? And why would you wear a mask if it doesn't work, according to the virology? Aren't we supposed to trust science? Aren't we supposed to listen to the medical professionals? Or are we only listening to the medical professionals if they're leftists? I'm going to choose B right about now. Lutulip directed the patient not to self-isolate because being around other people would provide immunity from COVID-19, according to the state board's documents. The medical board also found that Lutulip and his staff refused to wear masks in the clinic and urged patients to remove their own masks. Medical board investigators who visited Lutulip said there were no screening procedures upon entering the premises and no hand sanitizer was available in the waiting area. So as a result, they ruled that Lutulip constitutes an immediate danger to the public and presents a serious danger to the public health and safety. Uh, did they take into consideration how many people have visited him who had COVID and got better? No. I, I, it doesn't look like it. Otherwise, they probably would not have made the decision they made. But how scary is this? You have politicians. Obviously, this is a medical board as well. You have a medical board basically coming down on a doctor for disagreeing. And they don't have any deaths to point to, do they? Not that I saw. You know, 70 million people died because of this irresponsible doctor. It wasn't that. They didn't like him saying something that went against the typical liberal narrative. And that should scare us all. We'll come back after this.
Dan Steiner here with Freeborn Ministries, and this is my personal invitation for you to join my wife Valerie and I on December 13th for Celebrate Life, a live Christmas online benefit for unborn children. Many of you have supported and saved the lives of preborn babies through this radio session. This is an opportunity, friend, for you to see a preborn center in action for you to see moms and babies who have chosen life, to meet some of the directors. We're gonna have Matthew West to hear Christmas music from Matthew. An opportunity for you to do a watch party in your home, bring your friends together and celebrate life that has been saved as a result of your generosity. And friends, on this broadcast, we're going to have a live ultrasound as well for you to see like many of you have supported. So please join us on December 13th, 7 p.m. Eastern time at preborn.com, preborn.com on December 13th for Celebrate Life, a live Christmas online benefit for preborn babies. Open enrollment is here, and choosing a health care program is an important decision for you and your family. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward health other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. You can find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I want to talk a little bit about journalism here. Very quickly, you might have heard that there were some more losses in the Trump team attempts to get justice about this election. You had a federal judge going against Sidney Powell's Kraken lawsuit in Michigan, and you had another uh, bad, you know, a bad situation with a case being dismissed in Georgia. So things continue. I know that they want to go to the Supreme Court. Ultimately, we'll see how that goes. But again, we have daily updates from these so-called journalists talking about how ridiculous it is. These terrible lawyers, Rudy Giuliani is a joke and Sidney Powell is incompetent and and Trump is desperate. And these people are just a threat to our democracy. Right. Now, now let's listen, for example, to Rachel Maddow, she of the MSNBC team, who has been just slaughtering Trump verbally for the last four years. This is what she had to say just a few weeks ago about Trump officials actually trying to get to the bottom of election fraud. Listen very carefully to what she says. This is cut for. Let me ask you just to expand on that a little bit in a, in a civic sense, because I feel like one of the things that we are sort of, I feel like we're entering a new phase. We've got the GSA ascertaining that President-elect Biden is going to be the next president. There should be a transition process. The president basically acceding to that. Um, 
we've got this thing that's ended in Michigan in terms of the certification. And I feel like we're sort of now waking up to new new realities. One of the things that I'm concerned about is what the Trump administration is going to do during this lame duck period and in the transition to try to set the place on fire, proverbially, as they go. But I think a lot of people are also worried about what you were just describing there, about these tactics, both by the president and by his campaign and by Republicans who support him, that after an election, elections officials are now subject to lobbying, subject to pressure, subject to enticement or um, or threats in a way that should get them to do whatever their party or the party in power or anybody else who has a, a, an effect in terms of influencing them can get them to do. I want that not, I want to go back to that not being a norm in our democracy. I'm worried that now that the Trump administration has set this precedent, it will be. And it feels like the only way to stop that becoming the new normal, at least in Republican politics, is for some people to go to jail for it or to feel like they are going to get in trouble if they got get caught doing something like that. Is that the right way to think about it? Nice biased question heading into this interview with an NAACP official. So you should put Trump officials in jail. Basically, if they question an election and, quote unquote, put pressure on local officials to do their bidding, they should be put in jail. Okay, what are we back during the Cold War and we're over on the other side of the world in the former Soviet Union? Just jail people for not being in line with your politics. Who cares about election fraud, right, MSNBC? Who cares? You would care a lot. What happened to resist? What happened to the Inauguration Day festivities, so to speak, of the Women's March when Trump was inaugurated? That was the beginning, the opening salvo of four years of insanity. You people are off the rails. You're going to accuse the Trump team for having some problem with what went on the night of November 3rd? These people are not plain fair. These people couldn't care less. And what happened to journalism? I ask myself this question every single day. I want to play another clip for you. And this is also via MSNBC. Interestingly enough, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas put this clip out. And I thought it was really worth playing for you because he had done a recent expose of CNN. I don't know how he managed it, but he managed to get on a conference call with the CNN staff, including Jeff Zucker, the head of, of CNN, and it was hilarious to listen to. But this was apparently something that uh, rankled MSNBC a little bit. Now, listen to this anchor. This is Joshua Johnson on MSNBC. Listen to what he said about it. Cut five. On Tuesday, the conservative activist James O'Keefe logged into a private CNN teleconference. O'Keefe's group, Project Veritas, live streamed the call. It included him interrupting CNN's president, Jeff Zucker, to question him about the network's journalistic integrity. CNN says it believes this may have been a felony. A statement says it's reported the incident to law enforcement. Project Veritas says it's trying to expose the mainstream media's liberal biases. It continued to release clips from CNN's editorial calls with some help from Fox News host Sean Hannity. Media outlets have enough to deal with after what have been a divisive four years. Attacks on the press are nothing new, but they've amped up with claims of fake news. And many reports show hardening attitudes towards journalists. The First Amendment lets the press publish what it wants, biased or not. Snooping on CNN's editorial process impedes that right. Journalism always has room to improve. And there's already a good way to fight bias on TV. Change the channel. So is MSNBC telling us to change the channel? Okay, happily. 
But did you listen to what that guy said? He was invoking the First Amendment, not as what it really is, which is pertaining to freedom of the press, which no right-thinking American would deny that the press has a right to report on public goings-on, of course. That's not what he was using the First Amendment for. He was using the First Amendment to make a case that if we're biased, deal with it. It's not against the First Amendment to be biased without any requisite shame for how his particular news channel regularly skews the news and uses bias and misinformation to really put out all sorts of delusions for people to sign on to. And and they're deceptive. They're completely deceptive. They're not about telling you the truth. So I did a little bit more digging into Joshua Johnson. And it was very interesting because I guess he was from the University of Miami and he had done some broadcasting before. He was pre-med at one point. I'm reading this uh, Miami Hurricane website talking a little bit about him. And he had been involved, I think, with some TV stations. And he said that he's black and gay. He made connections through student groups on campus, including United Black Students and the group for LGBTQ students, helped with his coming out process. Because, you know, journalism doesn't matter. It's your coming out process, baby. That's what it's all about, your coming out process. And it goes on talking about how he's basically an identity politics guy. What a shock. He ends up at MSNBC. But here's the thing that really bugs me. When I went to the National Association of Black Journalists, which is an organization, according to some of the stories I read on the Internet, to which Joshua Johnson belongs, I couldn't even find a code of ethics in that group. But I know that the Society of Professional Journalists have a code of ethics because we were all required to read it and understand it when I was going through journalism school and working as a journalist. We held to it back in the day. At least most of us did. And bias was considered to be something that you didn't do. Your goal as a reporter was to make sure that the people listening to you or reading your copy could not tell which side you were on. That was the goal. And if they could tell what side you were on, you had failed. You're supposed to be a neutral reporter of the news and you're not supposed to make anybody look good or look bad. You're just supposed to tell people what's going on. And that's so far in the distance now that people don't even remember it almost. But I'm looking at the Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics. One of the things that is required of journalists ethically, it says here, is to expose unethical conduct in journalism, including within their own organization. To expose unethical conduct in journalism, including within their own organizations. That is the duty of a journalist. It's not just about the First Amendment. It's about self-regulation. And you look at some of this journalism that people call journalism but really isn't, and it's so frustrating to me because I don't know who to trust anymore. I know what I can do, and we do it every single day, but I don't know who to trust anymore because you can't be everywhere at once, and I'm not working as a print journalist anymore, so I'm not out interviewing people. I'm interviewing people on this show. But I'm not interviewing people reporting the news anymore, but I know how it's supposed to be done. And it is such a threat to our democracy when the press does not do its job. Just report the facts. And there is so much cover up. There is so much bias. There is so much advocacy. There is so much activism. It's not that the First Amendment does not allow it to take place. It's just that it's shameful for these people to be engaging in this when there is a country at stake and they have changed the game because they are so much in the tank for their own side and they're just taking everybody for a ride with them. And on top of this, you see the big tech organizations, you see these sites like Twitter and Facebook regularly censoring people. How in the world do you get the truth? 
when people are not reporting it and don't even have any kind of ideological commitment to truth as truth. You can't continue. What needs to happen, in my view, is for more Americans who really do believe in the ethics of journalism to go into it and to work as journalists in new ways. These old time journalism organizations, these networks, a lot of these newspapers, they all need to go. They all need to go or else they need to be completely reformed from within because they are corrupt to the teeth. And yes, it is about money. Yes, you have to make a profit in order to continue to generate news. But if you're not going to do it right, why are you there in the first place? America is dependent upon a free press because we need to know the truth. We need to know who the corrupt are. We need to know where the law has been broken. That's the job of a real journalist. And the fact that so many thousands of journalists are not doing their job is going to be one of the long-term stories that we look back on as Americans as to how America went down the drain. But let's keep praying we don't. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on Janet Meffer Today. Today.